A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. After leaving the mountain, Jesus and his disciples went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another, Who was the greatest? Jesus sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Today we hear the second of three Passion Predictions, which are placed at the very center of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, 31, 9, 31, and 10, 33. Mark 9, 30-31 is the briefest version of the Passion Predictions, but the most striking difference is in whose hands the Son of Man is betrayed. The first and third predictions emphasize the list of Jewish authorities. Here, the Son of Man is handed over simply into the hands of anthropos, humanity. This is the most universalized statement of Jesus' betrayal. It makes clear that Jesus is handed over not by some demonic or divinized force. The responsibility lies in human hands. Last Sunday, we heard the first prediction of Jesus' coming death. He is the leader, and after his death, who will be the leader in his place? A discussion ensues, and then an argument over who is the greatest. No wonder they were struck silent. Their selfish ambition is on display for all to see, as the author of James observes, You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. Our misplaced desire is at the very root of our human dissatisfaction. Right in the very beginning of the Bible, when the serpent tempts Eve in the garden, the fruit becomes even more tempting when the tempter implies that God is envious of Eve. A rivalry is created as Eve tries to differentiate herself from God. It doesn't take long for this seed to bear fruit. Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy. James comments again, You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. The wisdom writer tells the same story. This time it is the godless who are jealous of the righteous one. But their solution is the same. Let us test him with insult and torture, so that we may find out how gentle he is. 
let us condemn him to a shameful death, for according to what he says, he will be protected. This mechanism of scapegoating and casting someone out for the sake of peace inside the group is as old and tired as we are. It is hard for us not to center the universe around ourselves. The moment we are born, in a very real sense, we are at the center. But God does something beyond anything we could ever have imagined. God takes the place of the one who is cast out. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. The disciples do not understand what Jesus is saying, and of course, they do not ask any questions. Jesus calls them into a circle around him. We infer the circle from the placing of the child in the middle, and teaches both by word and deed. He teaches them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he shows them what it means to be servant of all, first taking a child and placing it in their midst, and then taking the child up in his arms with the words, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. To receive, rather than to expel, is the mark of the new community of the kingdom. Because we love our children and often place them on a pedestal, we might imagine that Jesus refers to the child as an example to imitate, an example of innocence or simplicity. But the society at the time of Jesus had no such romanticized notions of children. In the ancient world, a child was a non-person, without legal standing or personal power. The child was dependent on others. The child was one of the most vulnerable members of society. So when Jesus embraces the child, he is embracing the marginalized, the powerless, the most vulnerable. His action is similar to the famous last judgment scene in Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Notice this picture. Jesus is in Capernaum, inside the house, within the circle of the twelve disciples. In the center of the circle, Jesus sits with a child in his arms. Remember the story in the Gospel of John about the woman caught in adultery? The scribes and Pharisees made her stand before all of them. She was inside the circle. The place at the center of the circle is the place of the victim during a stoning. Now, Jesus and the child take that place. Jesus dramatizes the inclusiveness of the new community by embracing, rather than stoning or expelling the powerless one. Our human bodies are sacraments. We are the body of Christ. And we are learning how to stretch out toward each other. At one time, churches were built to resemble the cross, but it does no good for buildings to do so if lives do not. This past week, on September the 15th, 
the memorial of Our Lady of Sorrows, Pope Francis celebrated the Divine Byzantine Mass in Slovakia. In the Gospel for the Mass, from chapter 19 of John's Gospel, we see the Mother of Jesus and the Beloved Disciple standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus entrusts them to each other. Woman, behold your Son. And to the Disciple, behold your Mother. The love of Jesus, flowing from the cross, brings us together into a new human family. Pope Francis offered this prayer in his homily. In contemplating the sorrowful mother, may we too open our hearts to a faith that becomes compassion, a faith that identifies with those who are hurting, suffering, and forced to bear heavy crosses, a faith that does not remain abstract, but becomes incarnate in communion with those in need.